0: Hello, heroes, and welcome to the fifth year of the One Shot Podcast. I'm James D'Amato, your host and game master. This bonus episode is the audio from our annual panel that we did at Gen Con this year. Gen Con promotes itself as the best four days in gaming, and because we get to do these panels there every year, it doesn't feel wrong. I love doing our Gen Con panels because it gives me an opportunity to learn more about the people that I work with. I usually don't have time to have a real conversation with these folks, except at conventions. And at Gen Con especially, the only time I really have to talk is when I'm in front of a microphone. They, of course, also give me the opportunity to connect with all of you. This last year at the network has been wild. We've faced challenges, both professional and private, and we've had so many amazing opportunities. I say this about one shot a lot. It's a dream job so wild that there's no way I could have come up with it before actually doing it. I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity to do this. I'm grateful not only to the people who support our network through Patreon, but the folks who download the show and listen every week. I'm grateful to the people that I get to collaborate with who make such amazing shows that I listen to every week and I depend on to keep my sanity in these trying times. I'm grateful for the friends and family who have supported me to get to this point. The folks who, when I doubt myself, tell me to believe in what I'm doing and who I am. I'm grateful to the game designers who have created these things that have captured my imagination and passion, that have inspired me to share that passion with everyone who will listen to me. If you're listening to this, I'm grateful to you. Thank you for the last five years. They've meant more to me than I could ever express in words. I hope you all enjoy learning about some of the folks behind the shows on our network as much as I did when I asked them those questions. I also hope you're as excited about the changes to our Patreon as much as I am. I'll be talking about those changes more on upcoming episodes of One Shot, and we're going to be running a small Patreon drive in September. But if you're looking for that information, it's towards the end of the panel. With all that out of the way... Let's get to the show. All right. Hello, heroes. Uh, thanks to everybody for showing up for our One Shot Network annual panel this year. I'm so excited to see everybody who's, you know, a listener and everybody who, who's part of the network. This is a panel that we use to check in about things, about uh, plans that we have for the network with different folks that we have on, tell you about some of our plans for the future and give you guys uh, an opportunity to ask questions and, and uh, talk. I, it's one of my highlights at Gen Con every year, so I'm really grateful that everybody came out for it. I am James D'Amato. I uh, host the One Shot podcast. I am going to be the host of the Future Campaign podcast and um, some other things. I, th- th- I do a lot, guys. I, do. <laughs> I, I work a lot, but we are here with a lot of really cool people. And the first one up with me, I'll give an opportunity to introduce himself.
1: I'm very concerned that I probably should not be sitting here, as, as no one else from the network is. No, no,
0: no, 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 you're fine, Jim, you're fine. Uh, this
1: is the moment. This is, th- this, is, this is where he finally gets me. Uh, but hello, everyone. My name is Jim McClure. I theoretically host the Talking Tabletop podcast on the One Shot Podcast Network, as well as, of course, I'm the owner of Third Act Publishing, and I do game design stuff. And as of two hours ago, it was finally publicly announced that I'm also lead designer for Roll20 as they are now getting into the game design business and that's what I've spent the last 12 months doing.
2: And so that's that secret project
1: for all those following along at home.
0: Yeah, and, and of course Jim is not alone in that. Uh, many folks that you'll recognize from One Shot are also involved in that project. Cat Cool? Uh, yeah, Cat uh, is one of the co-designers. Uh, uh, Darcy Ross! Darcy Ross! Uh, So, Jim, I I think uh, what what we really like to do is is show off to our our listeners what's going on in your life and whatnot, and I I think, really, I know the biggest thing, you've been consumed by this design project. You've worked so hard on it.
1: Uh, yes, um, so, so to, to give the, the update on Jim McClure, uh, cause there's been a lot of things going on. Again, the, the, the biggest news has been, um, like I talked about, uh, the, the, name of the game is called Burn Bright, and it's been a design team of my, myself, Cat Cool, Darcy Ross, and for those who know James Intercaso, uh, who does a podcast, he writes for D&D, a bunch of stuff. Um, is the four of us have worked on this game called Burn Bright for the last 12 months, uh, again, for Roll 20. It's Roll 20's, uh, uh, official game. Uh, we literally, like I said, announced it at a panel two hours ago, because we've been working in NDA in secret for this for a long period of time, and it has been consuming my life almost in its entirety. But now it's essentially done, and it's out of my life, it's out of my hair in all of the best possible ways, and it will, it will be out in the world, which will finally give me more time to do things, as well as some of the other exciting announcements that I have.
0: Yeah. Ooh. Do you, do you have another exciting I do. announcement that I, you want to drop?
1: I made a proclamation at this panel last year. I don't know if you remember this or not. My proclamation was by the time we got around to the panel this year, 2018, that I would be doing this full time for a living. I missed it by one week. Next week is my Gym. last week in the day job, and then I'm out. I'm doing publishing full time at that point forward. <laughs> and, you know, Thank you, thank you very much. Uh, it, it does make me very, very excited, and uh, you know I can say wholeheartedly that that I would not be not I would not be in this position. I wouldn't be anywhere close to being in this position if it wasn't for One Shot, our fans. James, you specifically, the things that you have done for me, and to be able to leave the, the corporate soul-killing day job to do what I actually love to do feels so good. Uh, so that's, that's the big news, and then together with that, y'all can stop pestering me on Twitter. Talking Tabletop will now be back now that the schedule is cleared, <laughs> and you all can have your weekly tears.
0: Yes. Man, I, I have so many different questions uh, to ask than I came in with. Uh, so, so, Jim, I know that you and I share different philosophies on, like the economic viability of leaving a day job. Uh, for me, I was looking for escape velocity and any excuse that I could use to get away. And I, I left. Meg, you can please sit. Please go sit. I'm here now. You can start. Oh, boy. <laughs> For me it was it was kind of a mad rush and I made a lot of sacrifices in order to get that time so so that I could hopefully balloon that up into other projects but you have talked often about how your father sort of influenced your view on the world and how you very carefully uh moved into things so has has that changed or is this move uh, in line with that life philosophy
1: um yeah it's it's a little bit of both um it, it, it's a little bit of of inspiration from people like yourself uh, for, for those who don't know what i what i did do as a day job it's it's the most boring thing you can imagine i'm a consultant for the homeowners insurance industry it's oh it's as exciting as it sounds um but ride to- <laughs> but together with that comes with a lot of caution, um, as that's what I was paid to do, uh, and I had a lot of caution in my life, and then I sort of, talking with, with many people, again, see, seeing the example of, of, of uh, James D'Amato and uh, wonderful other people through the network, it's they've all pretty much told me the same thing which is once you finally take that scary step out on your own it's not nearly as scary as you would think. Uh, it's still a lot of work. There's still stress that's involved with it. You know, it's still a job because it is um, but being, it's so much more fulfilling to be able to do it on your own so, so getting that inspiration and finally getting in a place together with some of the projects like what I've done with Roll20 and some of the other things got me half of the way and then seeing Seeing you all's wonderful example has finally pushed me to the other half to be like, it's time to make the move.
0: So uh, the the other question, which relates uh, more back to what I was originally going to be asking about. Burn Bright uh, is unique in a design project for you, I think, because it is not creator owned, Mm -hmm. Um, which I think puts you in a position with it uh, that is more in line with. What younger Jim might have thought being a game designer uh was so does accomplishing this project uh, g- seeing th- this other side of it i mean obviously it's a living game, so it's ongoing, but does this feel like more of an achievement uh than something like reflections or even something like satanic panic
1: um I- in a way, yes, because one of the things that i'm gonna uh, yeah, damn it, i'm gonna self indulge for a minute and I hate doing that's that.
3: that's what this is. <laughs>
0: If you didn't do that, we would have nothing. But the... The standard
1: narrative arc is that we have 45 minutes of the yucks, and then we have a little bit of soul feeling, and then we go back to, to to more of the jokes. But we're 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 starting hard and early. Um, the uh, one of the things that that felt amazing about that project was was kind of how I got involved with that project because I've been designing my own game since I was 10 years old. Like like doing that and doing that professionally to me is just something that I do. It's what I do when I wake up in the morning. It's what I do before I go to sleep. Um, but what happened with this particular project is. Uh, Nolan T. Jones, who owns Row 20, for those who who don't know, a wonderful human being, decided that he wanted to get into the, the game design business, and through his conversations, what he did is he goes, I want to have my own unique system that's designed and built who do we know that is capable of Designing systems from the ground up And apparently in that meeting more than one Person said Jim McClure uh, And to get sort of that kind of recognition Of like hey Jim's the Guy to go to if you want to build a system from the Ground up uh, it feels Really good you know I'm not going to lie about That um, that feels fantastic it's what I've, what I've always wanted to do And to get that kind of uh, acknowledgement From the community certainly Helped support me in thinking like yeah Maybe this is something that I can do um maybe maybe i'm good Uh, which uh we've all talked about imposter syndrome and oh my god i've got it probably more than anyone else but um you know it 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 has helped a lot and then i had to work with a team of people and couldn't just be the the end all be all decider and that was a learning experience
0: did you take a moment to breathe yet Uh, oh god no have you when do you think you're going to... And I, I really... I'm, I'm asking you this question p- partly because I want you to formulate it in your mind. When do you think you're going to allow yourself to absorb your accomplishments? Like, Because there are a lot of things that you've accomplished. And... It doesn't stop your momentum to do that. And that's something that I needed to realize, too. uh, That that was a challenge for me this year. Um, Do you think you can?
1: I'm not sure if I can. It's the the old adage of the marathon runner that comes in first. You know, as as soon as he wins that race, his thought is not, I won the race. His thought is, how am I going to beat the next people at the next race? Now i'm not that competitive but but it, it's the same mentality of of i go like i've i've gotten i've gotten to design on projects i've got to have have several successful kickstarters and all of this occur and i every step of the way as soon as i finish something it's like well what else can you do can you is the next game going to be good is no one going to care about the next game um and that's that's a deep dive into into my psyche goodness gracious um but it is it is a reality um and to to be able to sit back and objectively look at that uh i have a feeling that i kind of objectively look at myself 5 years in the past in an ongoing cycle which is not not great, but, <laughs> but my therapist got me from 10 years to five years, so I think we're doing okay, and, and progress has been had.
0: Well, Tim, I'm so proud of you. Thank you. I, I, I can't wait for the return of Talking Table Talk. <laughs> Thank you. We've got another person at the table with us. <gasps> Megan
4: Dornbrock. What's up? I ran all the way here. <laughs> I have a smell.
0: Uh, Meg and Jim are two of the three people that we first added to the network when when we were expanding it. Uh, And they all brought something really special uh, and, and continue to do that. Meg, you are on the precipice. Of tales from Thais, perpetually
4: on the precipice. I, I know, <laughs> just I, is my life. I know it feels like yeah. that.
0: Uh, you've had a lot of real ass life stuff uh, yeah. that has taken precedent. Uh, yeah. and I
4: kind of want to talk about some of that real ass life oh, stuff. Oh shit, we're getting real. Yeah, because
0: didn't didn't you oh, very recently have an academic achievement?
4: Pretty recently. That's what I tell all of my prospective employers on my cover letters. Recent <laughs> graduate.
0: So, yeah, you're, you're out in the world now. Uh, how, how does that feel?
4: Terrifying. So, for those of you who don't know, my recent academic achievement is I finished a bachelor's degree that I started a thousand years ago in art. So I have a BFA now in animation, which is cool. Uh, there's not a lot of people hiring in New York for that specifically, which is where I would like to continue. Living. Um, so it's really cool. I'm, I'm, we're getting real. Yeah. Yeah. This is what's happening. So um, I'm in my 30s and I decided. It's decide a bad place to be. It's, no. Oh, it. I loved 30. The 30s are pretty good. Don't tell me
1: that. I just got here. Don't tell me that. You! We're, we're both recent arrivals, you Jim, face. but it looks bad.
4: <laughs> I'm on a. I'm on a, oh my God, I'm on a panel with children. Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) It took you this long to know that?
4: Well, I mean, I I had a guess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, so um, art and animation is something that I have always really, really loved, but have had a lot of uh, self-doubt about because I am also legally blind, and that is a thing that freaks me out, um, is uh, rolling up into art class in college and saying hey guess what i'm gonna be your blind student and some teachers handle that really well and some teachers scar you for life um (sighs) it's good i love it it's real real good um not
0: it makes me real real mad
4: (laughs) yeah well you know this one's just me so um i i talked myself out of art school for that reason and also because uh we did not have the money for that um And I did some other things with my life, and it was pretty cool. I was a librarian for a little while. I did a bunch of tech support. I learned a bunch of things. And we found ourselves in New York, and I went, I still have a bunch of credits uh, from way back in the day. Why don't I just finish this degree? And I went, and I needed to do that at 30 instead of 19, because if I had done it at 19, I would have been a big, dumb kid and not appreciated it. Um, So I did it, and I finished it, and I did really well. I I graduated with honors and I was at the top of my class and everybody can just deal with it. Yes! Yeah!
1: Yeah.
0: So that's a tremendous character arc that you've gone through. (laughs) Does this, and I I asked Jim this question too, does this feel like a, a dream come true or are you so distracted by the next step
4: yeah I, I am definitely distracted by the next step like this is it's a cool achievement like it's monumental and it's not until i find myself actually saying it out loud to a room full of people and having that kind of response that i was like oh yeah that is a cool thing i did <laughs> um actually good job me and it, if i cry this doesn't count in your total no i know um, this is my total i <laughs> collect to all james
1: <laughs> i collect all tears
4: Just, mm, all tears belong to me i'll fight you That's uh a good-
1: all tears belong to
4: me and and he's off Um, but but no like this is this feels like just the beginning um because the ultimate goal is to uh have a hand in making like an awesome something awesome which is what i want to i don't know i tv shows or movies or games or you know i want to have a hand in, in bringing some of that to life or bringing some of my own ideas to life uh, and seeing those out into the world. And I'm sure when we get to that point, it'll be, but I want to do the next thing now. Like, that was cool. I did one, and I've learned things, and I can do it better. So I'm, I'm afraid I will never be satisfied, James, if that is what you were asking.
0: <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, I just... So when I left my day job... I went immediately into the grind at one shot. And like anybody can ask Mel, I sort of leap from project to project being like, okay, I got to get the next thing. And I keep telling myself, I will take the time to celebrate this when I'm done with it. But when I'm done with it, I've already picked up the next thing to do. Um, So I, and like Kat had mentioned to me a while ago god it must have been like maybe 10 months ago she said she was talking to john and she said james has been working really hard uh to to do a lot we should do something nice for him to you know help him relax from that and uh, you know she said like yeah when when do you want to you know sort of celebrate and take a break and i was like i don't think that's gonna happen um, and, and so now, yep. like, after working with my therapist, like, I am, I am trying yeah. to, you know, uh, yeah. make sure that I do take the time to acknowledge, like, yeah, yeah I did a lot. And, and I want to make sure that uh, the folks who are with me, who are also driven by that same kind of ambition, do that as well. Um, so now I want to talk about Thetis though, because you did mention things that you made uh yeah and 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 Thetis is one of them, and like,
3: yeah,
0: you are how many separate? Uh, things have been recorded because i know there are a couple of parties that were involved yeah
3: so
4: we've got some uh, session zero prep kind of stuff for the second arc that is it's been recorded i'm not sure exactly how much of that is going to the podcast proper um, but that is out there we've got a reflections game uh set in orlay i'm i'm expecting Uh, the invoice any moment now that'll that'll be five (laughs) dollars
1: for the use of the word reflections Mm -hmm. absolutely
4: yep
0: (laughs) You all did not know I own that word. Yep. On our Slack, he does. There's. A... You should make a bot that reminds people. I think
1: it's
3: more
0: fun when I just
1: do it, as just me do it and yeah. pretend it's a bot. Yeah.
4: <laughs> it's just Jim. No,
1: I just manually every time it gets said, oh, my ears twitch and
4: boy, he just knows. Um, so we've got that. We've got some some definitely off game stuff that's been recorded, and then we've got a good eight or ten episodes of a of a first arc <laughs> worth of content recorded. I think. So um,
0: you like. I mean, I said the precipice and I know you feel like you're always on the precipice, but like that is a wildly different position uh, than you were in when, you know, we first felt comfortable making the announcement of the show. Uh, and even, you know, when we occasionally have check ins being like, you know, what, what's the status of the show? Yeah. This is stuff is recorded. You have oh, an entire yeah. first arc. Yeah, like, buddy. You're really just deciding the structure of how you want to release these things yeah. now.
4: Um, And and that is something that we are going to have to work out because um, like we are there. Things are in editing and we're going to see exactly how many episodes this turns out to be. If it's um, scheduling has been a learning experience Mm -hmm. because of the way we're running Thetis. It's a usually new party every time we've got a different time zones to take into consideration and schedules and familiarity with whatever system we're using kind of thing and how often can they record so um, it would be nice if we could just bounce from from one arc right into the next one if we could Make this happen. There may have to be like a couple weeks in between to to catch everybody up. We'll see.
0: And and then there's also you know, uh, this might mean changes for modifier too.
4: Sure. And uh, and astute listeners may have noticed that it hasn't been a solid every two weeks. We've missed a couple here and there because of life and recording and scheduling and editing and all that sort of thing. Um, modifier is still very near and dear to my heart, and I I made it clear I think at the beginning of this year that I wanted to kind of reexamine it and focus it more, um, make sure we really were highlighting stuff that you've never heard of before, you know? We we talk to a lot of big names, and it's very cool to hear those processes because I think it's important to know what's going on in the minds of designers that feel like they're out of our league, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing, because they're just humans. They're just doing the same things we are, and I love getting that insight. But I also want to highlight... Like the amateurs and the hobbyists that are doing this stuff at at home, and they maybe haven't released it to anybody yet or they don 't feel comfortable yet and this is like this is the first time they've talked about it with anybody, and this is the you know this is them sharing their experience, so i I want that too, so it's important to me to make sh- episodes of modifier that like we aren't just talking about the same thing again, or we aren't just talking about the same thing you heard on the on the last podcast that came out this week because so and so 's Kickstarter is running, you know we, we want to do. I want to make sure these are important and they, they help.
0: Yeah, I mean, th- that's one of the things that I've always loved about Modifiers. It's such an inspirational show. I walk away from every episode going, I have more tools in my toolbox to, to do something. And I'm, I'm sure many of our listeners kind of feel that as well. Um, so I want to thank you both for sitting up here. We'll, we'll probably invite y'all back uh, in a bit, um, but please, everybody, thank them. The next people that i would like to invite up are our newest contributors uh and that would be amelia and daniel uh please come up here uh yes and what a way to meet um but wherever you guys want to sit it it does not matter
3: Um, i thought
5: i was going to be up here with like 10 other people and this is nerve wracking
0: Yeah, yeah, Uh, they do not make enough chairs, and uh, we do not have enough mics to make that work, but that's fine. Um, So I want to start uh, by having you you guys just introduce yourselves um, and and say what you're going to do, and then we're going to, I think, start in on Daniel, because Daniel has to leave.
6: Uh, I've actually made it so I can stay the whole time. Whoa!
3: Okay. Okay. I'm
6: I'm supposed to be at another another thing, but I, I said... I'm going to be late. I'm, I'm here to like represent my Asians, so like I'll stay the whole time. Excellent. <laughs> I think that, that's a and that's great segue. that's the name segue. of my show. Yeah, this is Daniel Kwan, and Asians Represent
0: is going to be your show.
6: Yeah, I'm, I'm co-hosting it with uh, another wonderful human being named Agatha. Uh, we're we're going to release the first episode, I think, this month. Um, and I have some really cool things planned.
0: So let's uh, do a broad strokes uh, sort of review of, of what that show is going to be.
6: So when we first started thinking about Asians represent, we were like, okay, so we can. I'm allowed to,
0: I'm allowed to curse, right? Oh yeah, okay. You can
6: say so bastard we were like,
0: and heck and <laughs> uh, oh <laughs> all the all the good ones. The no, fuck? no, you can you can Crap. say whatever. Fuck yeah. Um.
6: So we were we were at a we were at a restaurant. We were talking. We were like, okay, we need to make a podcast about Asians and gaming. And so Agatha's like, cool, what are we going to talk about? I was like, okay, we, we can do a couple of things. The first thing is that we could, we could just shit on really problematic games and be <laughs> really critical and negative about people. But then I thought like, I feel like we could do more with that. And so Asians Represent is about being critical of problematic content. I saw a guy at this con, like an old white dude, like dressed in yellow face. Yeah. Still today. Still today. And I was walking around, and I, I saw some books. I saw, like, a book, and it was, like, Weapons, Armor, and Castles of the Orient, and it had a samurai on the cover. And I was, like, and I, and I, and I looked, and I was, like, is, and I looked at the author's name, and I was, like, I didn't want to make any assumptions. I was, like, is this person Asian? And the people were, like, no. And I was, like, okay, when was this published? I was, like, expecting, you know, decades ago. 2002. And I was like, oh, okay. So, yes, the show will be about, you know, critiquing content like that. You know, L5R is coming out, like a new edition. I'm not going to wait in that FFG line. I'm going to wait until the core book comes out, and I'm going to read the whole thing before I make any judgments. But the show is also about, like, creating opportunities for Asian creators and uplifting Asian creators. And you don't have to be, like, big-name creators. I'm certainly not a big game creator. I, I have yeah. – m- Well, actually, on this podcast, I can announce something. An exclusive to OneShot. Yes! (laughs) Um, I have two games coming out this year.
7: Two! Um,
0: Wow. We are going to dig into that. We are going to dig into that. One to
6: Kickstarter and one to be released. And the one to Kickstarter, my bonus Patreon content, is going to be the first actual play of that game.
0: That's incredible. I am extremely excited I can't wait until we record the one-shot episode for this game. Uh, (laughs) And we will talk about that, uh, I think, very shortly after this panel. But
3: Asians (laughs) Represent,
6: it's... The show's about uplifting Asian creators and, you know, providing a space on, like, a really dope network... For those voices that aren't in the gaming industry.
0: Now, when I first heard the show, too, I was also kind of hoping that we might be able to dig in and get a history lesson of maybe some names that we've missed. Or, or do you feel that uh, it might be difficult to do that? That list is too long.
6: I'm currently like we have we have everything laid out. This, like, the like setups already. Or thank you for for the wonderful gear, and. We have this spreadsheet, which is names of all the people we want on the show. And if we – actually, one of those people is in, the, in, the, in the audience, we were talking on Twitter. Um, <laughs> holla. And, uh, you know, we, we created this really long spreadsheet. And we were like, okay, if we're going to do like a monthly episode – that's that might not be enough. So we're, we're trying to sort it out, but there are too many names.
0: I, I, you know, I think uh, what I always advise uh, people, especially like when they come to me with, oh, you know, our schedule, we're, we're going to do this monthly, we're going to do this biweekly, or we're going to do this weekly. It's like, take the longest release schedule first. Yeah, we're doing it monthly. We'll see. I think you have an overwhelming number of things to talk about for this program. Yeah, so. uh,
6: yeah. And I, I don't want to like take up all the time i 've got a uh, lot of again, things in my life this is life. a
0: long panel
6: oh, yeah. I, i'm on okay so speaking of the congratulations on, on your academic achievement, it's, it's amazing and i uh, I really admire that and i 'm kind of on like also a weird trans- transitional phase in my life yeah. um, so I have a bachelor's in a bachelor's of science in biological anthropology, so I studied forensic anthropology, primate evolution, and I have a master's in Japanese archaeology. And in November, I'm gonna defend my PhD.
3: Holy crap! <laughs> yeah.
6: um, thank you. Uh, but it's interesting because that's a world that I'm leaving actively. I'm an archaeologist by trade. Um, it's a world that I'm leaving because I don't feel fulfilled in it
0: uh, for the lucrative world of game design. I know <laughs> I know
6: But I work in the lucrative world of educational you, gaming you
0: wouldn't <laughs> be
6: the first. I'm also Canadian So I don't have to my, my tuition's like nine thousand so, dollars a year That's yeah, not as I can go to the doctors and just be like bye dr. McLean," and leave and don't not pull up my wallet. You,
0: you you would definitely not be the first academic that we have uh, conspired to lure out of that life to to this world. We did easy. that <laughs> to Darcy Ross, and currently I'm being glared at by Steve, who is also a PhD candidate. Uh, we'll get you. Um, <laughs> oh, it was so easy to get me out of that life. <laughs> But the other thing that I want to highlight, because I, I don't know how many people in the room uh, listen to Backstory, but Daniel, you also have a fascinating like, other element to your job of working with kids and, yeah. and involving games in that.
6: So my, like, while I'm, I submitted my, the first draft of my dissertation months ago, and I didn't hear anything, so like you, I kind of like, I jumped from one thing to the next, and I submitted it, and I was like, okay, I'm done with this. I'm going to get a full-time job. <laughs> <laughs> and my, my day job is as I have one of those like made up titles It's biodiversity storyteller Slash creative producer um, I, I work at the Royal Ontario Museum And I work there as a teacher I use RPGs uh, to teach kids History, science, and social skills I've been doing that since 2011 I think I've taught Definitely over a thousand teens How to play RPGs Um, I run 24 campaigns a year um, with my really dedicated staff team. That's Uh,
0: more than me,
6: and that says a lot. And I run an organization called Level Up Gaming, and we help adults with autism develop their social skills through tabletop RPGs. We've been doing that for almost three years. And my storyteller job is right now I get really, really venomous spiders to kill things, and I videotape it. (laughs) Oh, boy. So none of that relates to archaeology.
0: (laughs) You know, I kind of feel like that was a subplot in an Indiana Jones book that that must have been read as somebody videotaping venomous spiders killing their enemies. And I, I worked in Jordan where Indiana Jones was filmed in The Last Crusade. That's Petra. That's extremely cool. I, I could talk to Daniel about his cool life and all of the cool things that he's doing for a long time, which I, I think demonstrates uh, why this person needs a podcast. Uh, and I, I think uh, the value of Asians represent sort of speaks for itself. And I, I am so excited that that we might get it this month uh, because... You will I, get it this month. I, I cannot wait to start listening to it. You will get it this month. Um, but I want to transition over to talking to Amelia... Amelia, uh, please introduce yourself to the crowd and uh, please tell them what show uh, you brought to the network this year.
5: So I am Amelia Antrim. uh, My co-host Ryan, who could not be here because he just had a baby like last week, Um, (laughs) he's like, "Thank you for (laughs) yes, right? Thank you for that baby that I didn't have. Um, (laughs) I did that a while ago. I already have. Actually,
0: yeah. If you can get some of those congratulations, take them. You know, yes. Why not?
5: Yes." So we host a show called Character Creation Cast. Um, I like to think of it kind of like probably what would happen before one shot. So we go through systems and discuss the process of building characters and how that kind of informs what the gameplay is going to be like, the different things that you can do, and then um, have a discussion on what that looks like. In the game, and we try to talk to designers and stuff too about like kind of their creative process and things. Um, we had Alex on the show to talk about Starcross, which I'm still like so excited about. Um, but we kind of just look at the process from beginning to end of character creation because we thought that that was like the best part of playing a game was just making people.
0: Yeah, that I mean and that's fascinating. Uh and like I, I th- the story of how we brought your show onto our network I, I think is very funny because uh I was talking to Alex at I believe Metatopia and we were just talking uh shop talk like talking promotion and and how you promote things um and like what she was doing to tour Starcrossed around to different folks. And she mentioned that one of the shows that she did was uh, this character creation cast thing, the show that wasn't even out yet. Um, And she said that that was one of the best and most insightful shows uh, that that she had been on. Because I, I can tell you the landscape of interview podcasts, even for RPGs, is kind of vast. And... As a creator who's been on many interview programs, the the quality of conversations that you can have on different shows is fairly variable. Um, and I like to think of myself as a good guest where I'm always trying to bring energy and, and have an in-depth conversation. And that doesn't always uh, happen organically from uh, your interviewer's questions. If you want to talk about something new and make a point, like you can't always depend on your interviewer to get that because you can have some real lame interviews that way. And Alex highlighted the fact that character creation cast was so vastly different from that experience and and that it actually taught her new things about, you know, like solidifying ideas that that she had put in the game and hadn't given words to.
5: Oh, I'm like not going to cry in front of everybody. Like, (laughs) not going to do it.
0: And I was like...
5: I get those tears.
3: You're all by me, although
0: it's they go to Alex, I think, for this one. Um, But for I was like, who are these people? How have I not heard of this show before? Um, Because it wasn't out yet. Because it wasn't out yet. (laughs) And I watched it like a hawk. And I uh, sort of have weird feelings about taking shows from other networks. I I don't want to do it. there was a weird overlap with Jim McCor and the RPG Academy, who who are good friends of ours, and I like to think everybody in uh, the podcasting community, the games community, who is not a racist or a bigot of any kind, is our friend, you know, and I, I don't want to do anything that would, you know, disparage another network or, or, or take something from them or damage a relationship with a creator. Uh, but I wanted this fucking show so <laughs> goddamn bad. <laughs> Uh, so I was like, well, you know, and Alex reminded me, James, this is just my word. You need to listen to it. And I was like, you're right. You're right. So I listened to the first episode, um, uh, and I, I did really like it. And I, you know, I, I heard how talented you both were and the potential for the show. And then I heard at the end of the show, oh, we're part of such and such network. And I'm like, well, damn it. Okay. That's fine. I sort of like let it sit in my feed and like I'll return to this like at a later date whatever I'll wait for Alex's episodes Um, and Alex's episodes came on and I listened to them and you know everything that she said was true like like this is all really insightful and like it's now it's not just her episodes it's the first episodes that I listened to and the show at the end called itself an independent production. Yes. Uh, Which, to me, I'm like, oh, that's interesting.
6: (laughs) (laughs) I'ma get this. And
0: about a week or so later, like I don't remember how long into the Starcross run, I got an email.
5: Yeah, I'll just tell everybody up front. I recently found, got diagnosed as bipolar. And so in the middle of one of my manic episodes, I was like, you know what would be great? More podcasts. So I was like, we should do one on what to do after you've made all these characters, because that's not fair. Like, you have these characters, and now what? So we decided to do Character Evolution Cast, which comes out between our other series of games, which covers, like, player advice and how to get the most out of playing your characters at the table. Um, And the first... I posted on Twitter and asked people, like, what do you think would be an interesting topic? Like, what do you think would help you? And everybody's like, well, I'd really like to do voices. And I was like, well, obviously, James D'Amato's the person to ask about that. So I sent you an email and thought, he'll never get back to me. He's super busy. Like is true. Right. He'll never get back to me. It's fine. And I was like, and if he does get back to me, it'll be like, sorry, I'm too busy. And then 20 minutes later, I got an email. <laughs> <laughs> that I was... <laughs> Like I was emotionally unprepared for that.
0: I, and I, I, to be fair, I, I I was so mean to you guys in that because I knew exactly how emotionally unprepared you were to receive an email like that. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, this is Wh- be when. I receive emails. The longer an email is, the more important I, I understand, like uh, the relationship this person has to our content or, or to us. And I usually, like, if you send me a super long email, I am probably going to answer that one first. So I knew when these folks were asking me to be on their show, they did not think I would go on their show because they sent this long email Was it trying that long? to I don't remember justify being that to long. Me. <laughs> I mean it wasn't three sentences Hey, the, the, When I sent an email to Chris Sims I said hey do you want to be on my dumb podcast That was the fucking sentence that I sent to him And uh, you know your, your email to me like explained your show uh, Like you, you justified everything That you were doing and, and why you Wanted to have me on it so I was like They don't think I'm going to be able to Say yes to this and I am about to Send them an email asking them to Be a part of our network yes. <laughs>
5: right like at the bottom of the email it was like oh yeah i'd love to do your show also i noticed that you said that you were an independent production and i'd be interested in and which at first i was like oh that means he listened not only to my show but all the way to the end of my show (laughs) so i was like i know that he's like not lying about it um And so we, like, made a trip down to... Well, the other part of that, too, is that, like, after I got that email, I had to leave work. I was like, I can't emotionally handle this. I have to go home. So, like, I, like, screamed in the hallway. And I think the only other person that was there was, like, one of my best friends. And she's like, what's wrong? And I was like... (gasps) And so, like, she's like, you should go home. You know? (laughs) So, yeah, I was so excited about it. And I'm glad that it worked out the way that it did. Um, like we were with a network for a while, and it just it didn't work out. Like I don't want to badmouth anybody or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, we, but, we don't need to talk. Um, about yeah, it didn't work out, and so like this was like way better than I th- like thought that it would because I thought you would not answer my email.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I'm 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 so glad to have both of you, and I. I think that like the fact that you came up with the character evolution cast idea like it shows how you sort of are invested in your concept and want to innovate things and like that's the sort of energy that i I want folks to bring to the network and and that i know our audience like likes to pick up on um
5: well and it's a thing that i'm passionate about because i'm not a gm and so doing something that is specifically geared toward players was really important to me because i don't like there's so much i say this in the show all the time too there's so much advice for gms out there and there's not a lot for players because it's sort of expected that like you're not in charge and so players just show up and everything happens and that's not the case at all and so it's really important to have something that was like geared toward people like me who don't necessarily like to run games or haven't really done that very much
0: I, I, it's it's like, you know, when you think of it, the majority of the game's community is, is players, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not people GMing. Um, and I, I'm certain, I am certain there is a large number of non-GMs in our audience. And I, I think while I love GMing and I think it is an important role, uh, I do think they are overcredited a lot in in uh, things. Like we, we don't need to worship them and give them pizza. Uh <laughs> i can 't wait i can 't wait to, to have that conversation <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, but so it is exciting to me that that there are folks who are really, really thinking about the player experience and and providing a platform for that and, and also you know doing what you do, inviting interesting, thoughtful people to to dissect these games and and uh, go through that process of creating characters. Uh, Steve, you should be up here too i uh, 'm sorry, I should have called you up. <laughs> I want to move on to our, our other new show, um, Potential, potential uh, PhD that does not use a degree because we'll lure him out of that life. Uh, uh,
8: Steve, please please introduce yourself to the audience. Hi, everyone. My name is Steve Discont. Currently, I'm a PhD candidate studying what's known as Industrial Organizational Psychology. For those who aren't familiar with that, which is probably most of you, uh, that is at its most boiled down, I would just say, is HR science uh hence why i've been referred to by james as the as the networks hr uh, <laughs> That was a bit I have
1: a lot of complaints to email to you now. I can only imagine. (laughs) Um,
8: (laughs) Nobody, nobody's (laughs) paying me for these reflections. (laughs) (laughs) They keep saying this. Five dollars.
3: Five dollars. By
8: the way, if you if you check the slack right now, I owe you (laughs) five dollars. And since we're plugging the podcast, myself and my colleague Porter Green. uh, Porter Green is a licensed clinical psychologist. And we are going to be starting up Session Zero.
0: Yeah, let's talk about Session Zero, because all of the new shows that we're adding, and unfortunately, DC is not here, so, so uh, we, we can't have them be a part of, of this, but all of the new shows that we're adding are podcast pitches that made me go, I want to listen to that today.
8: So, what is Session <laughs> Zero, Steve? Uh, session Zero will be a relatively short-form podcast. We're aiming for like somewhere in the 20-minute range. Where myself and Porter, we will be discussing role-playing through the lens of psychology. Uh, we will, our aim is to bring the research and literature forward when we can. Uh, we will also provide our reflections on it. Please keep in mind, this is for entertainment value, not the advice or recommendations from actual psychologists.
1: Does not affect that license deal of using reflections
8: again. <laughs> $10, fine. Uh, yeah and that's what our aim is Um, we have a lot of ideas already Um, some of the things we've talked about discussing are for example playing and role playing as someone with uh, uh, with autism spectrum disorder or as role playing if you are someone with uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder such as myself (laughs) me too yeah. Oh, there you All go. right. Yeah. yeah. We should collaborate. Oh, let's oh, uh, I, I was already planning on talking to you because uh, of the <laughs> work that you do. And I, we're also planning on having – we're going to figure out how to have guests mostly because we want to figure out a voice and then be able to figure out how to work with uh, bringing in uh, other experts, either people from the industry or bringing in other psychologists who can bring forward their knowledge and expertise. So uh,
0: one question that I have uh, about this process is obviously you have a litany. Like you you mentioned that you and Porter have a long list of subjects that you are burning to talk about, that that you've got lined up episodes. This
8: list has like 25, 30 different things we've already discussed as options. My my
0: question to you, because you keep talking to me about this like it is a short form show. How do you think that you are possibly going to be satisfied? Because each of those subjects, I feel, could span so many hours of in-depth discussion. That's like a whole podcast in and of itself.
3: Number three.
8: (laughs) Oh, you you mean bleed question, question mark <laughs> that
6: and number oh. four religion and gaming
8: oh
5: yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, my yeah. show is supposed to be monthly when we started planning we were like we're only going to do monthly episodes because we're both parents and we don't have time and like now it's weekly and then we just put one out in the middle of the week and like it's <laughs> best laid plans. There's
8: well too much to talk about. I, so I think it helps that both Porter and I both do research uh, Z and I both tend to focus on a lot of issues that uh Fit within our research fields and our interest. Uh, a lot of it's LGBT research. I tend to look at a lot of uh, organizational health aspects. And one of the big things when you do research is uh, that you realize you know very little about your area, and there's so little that you can actually speak to. So, in the various topics that we aim to explore, there are a lot of different facets that we can explore. Um, I know that, for example, when like again, bleed question mark. Um, <laughs> There is so We've already thought about how we're going to break down when we actually get around to discussing bleed, how we're going to break that down into multiple episodes because we could talk about player-to-character bleed, character-to-player bleed. How do you manage bleed? How do you as a GM manage bleed for your players? What are ways to manage and address your own bleed and be able to recognize it? There's a lot of different areas that we could hit and cover. So when we hit a topic, I know that when Porter and I have already started discussing topics we've already started breaking things down and going, well, how do we structure this? What are the relevant constructs we need to keep in mind? What are the relevant issues? And then even evaluating, does this get broken down into a multi-part focus? That is, I think,
0: the heaviest prep podcast that we've had on the network so
8: far. Well... I mean, yeah, <laughs> fuck you guys.
3: <laughs>
8: You're not on the website! I mean, this is tooting my own horn, but, like, ethics are very important to me. Um, And literally my name is on – is literally on a chapter involving research ethics. So kind of don't want to do that wrong. Uh, So, yeah, no, it's – we want to make sure that we're prepped and that when we go in, we can actually speak to – if there's relevant research we can speak to, we can actually identify it. We don't want to do an injustice when, one – We're speaking from our professional identities and our professional work. And two, we don't want to steer people who listen to us wrong. So uh, uh, taking this in a slightly
0: different direction, uh, your podcast, I believe, just like pound for pound, inch by inch, is going to be the queerest podcast on the network, (laughs) which is really impressive considering some of the podcasts we
8: have on the network. Yeah, it really doesn't help that, like... Porter, especially in their work, is a trans specialist. Um, I explicitly do research looking at the uh, looking at the experiences of LGBT and other queer workers within the workplace. Yeah, it's going to be pretty damn queer. There's no <laughs> question. <laughs> I,
0: so I, I I know that you specifically, as a person, sort of uh, think of things in community terms because you. Are part of an organization that manages a fairly large fan oh, community, right?
8: Yep. Guess we're gonna out that there.
0: Uh, it was gonna come up. You're talking about
8: psychology. You're talking about everything. Yeah. Uh, so at some point, the furry issue comes up. Yeah.
0: So, so uh, Steve is one of the organizers for Midwest Fur Fest, which is the largest furry convention in the United States uh, and the world. World. Yeah.
8: Biggest in. The world. But not no pressure. the solar system. <laughs> no. Look, it, if we can find another universe that has a bigger convention, but we'll give the title to them because, boy, do we... We just want to run a good show. So, yeah.
0: so being, like, a a person uh, who is, like, joining a, a, a prominent podcasting network, um, I don't want to toot our own horn, but, like, it's a very small world, the role-playing world. Uh, and uh, the... It, 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 the the fact that like you you are going to be a, a very visibly and and forwardly queer podcast that is thinking of things from an academic perspective. Uh, what what do you feel like entering that space sort of as a figure that people are are going to be looking to now? Can you rephrase that question? Uh, so. Have you thought about how you are going to start being a figure who other queer gamers are going to look at and, and see as like a thought leader in, in this community? Has, has that struck you? Is it striking you now?
8: Not until the moment, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Okay, so I guess I've already had that experience within Furry. So I guess context for everyone. I'm the executive lead of programming for, FurFest, for Midwest FurFest. Uh, So if you go to the convention, if you have any interest in, you know, you look at a convention like here at Gen Con and you have a lot of programming, I'm one of the people who helps make sure things get approved, that they end up in the rooms that they're going to be, making sure that the people who are running the panels are qualified to run their panels. You know, we don't want someone running a psychology panel who doesn't have a degree in psychology. That's (laughs) another story. So at least within that scene, especially what I've dealt with in furries, it's been... It's always been a weird mental adjustment because recognizing that people look to you, the things that you say, and they hold it with value and they hold it with respect. Boy, did I not consider that I would be moving into that sphere within, uh, for queer gamers. But I think that for myself and Porter, really the big goal is to just be there to support the community. And if we can contribute and guide people in the right directions, that's great. But honestly, in the queer community, I think the goal is to uplift everyone to bring everyone along with you. So if I, if myself and Z are in a position that the knowledge that we put forward and that w- and the representation that we provide can give other people an opportunity to feel motivated to do the same things or feel motivated to be more true to themselves or being able to be in a state where they feel safe, fuck it, we'll do whatever we can.
0: I... I think on that note, I would like to thank uh, you three for joining me here. Again, we might see these folks again. Um, but I need to invite the redheaded stepchild of the network
8: <laughs> up, up to the stage. <laughs>
0: Reflections.
5: They're not even on the website.
0: <laughs> the people that only I like. <laughs> Jeff and John, as you are not on the website, please introduce yourselves to the people in this room. <laughs>
9: okay, Absolutely. Uh, I'm Jeff Aldrich.
2: I'm John Taylor,
9: and we host the System Mastery Podcast. We uh, go find old RPG books as old as we can find them, uh, or as weird as we can find them. Read them in about two weeks, and then vent our unfocused, wrong, but generally pretty funny opinions about them uh, out onto the show for about an hour.
0: Yeah. So until Steve's podcast really like hits the network, this is the most researched podcast that we do. <laughs> <laughs>
9: A, a sad statement. If everyone there real was real sad, yeah.
0: Because I think you are one of those that also talks about not researching things too mm-hmm. yeah.
9: often. Oh, yeah. uh, we, we don't do any supplementary research surrounding the books that we read.
2: Yeah, we really want whatever the book we read to stand on its own, because that's anyone who buys the book is going to have that. Not many people who go out and get some RPG book are like, "All right, well now it's time for me to research everything about it on the internet." Hmm?
9: We, uh, we run into the constant pro- we would have run into the constant problem of people pointing out that. Uh if we hadn't just read the third DMG for this book, then the whole thing would come together and make sense. So for us, a lot of it comes down to a book needs to stand in its own merits, uh, that first player's handbook needs to sell. I don't want to talk to a second salesman, Right. essentially, when it comes to an RPG. I want to be sold right away.
0: And it's amazing how often you stumble across books that actually have advertisements for future books printed right in the <laughs> page. There's so
9: many of those! And then the books never come into existence. It's wonderful.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
9: It's uh, we get we see that about as often as we get questions from people who have podcasts that don't like exist yet, where they're like, they're like "I have a great idea, can I be on your network?" And we're like, "We don't have a network.
2: <laughs> so, so we don't have a network. No one. We're not in a network. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. As so, you can see, we're not on the website for yeah. any network. So, so actually, we-,
9: we have a couple of big announcements to do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, First of all, we've been a part of the uh, OneShot Network now for a year and a half. Uh, We joined in uh, March of last year, around March 1st, and we were super excited to get involved. Uh, As James mentioned right at the top of the hour uh, of our discussion here, uh, he's the only person on the network who likes us or tolerates us in any way.
2: Oh, yeah. Pretty much everyone who is set up here just hates us. We're just being
9: heavily protected uh, by the boss, and that's the way we stay in focus. Uh, We were the only ones here who were begging him to get into the network. Uh, we operate out of, and it's true, I sent him a bunch of emails, I was like, Can please be in your
2: network? Although I'm going to say, as you were saying before, they were really just three sentences yeah, long. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we've never listened to any of your hey, content. Hey, listen to our dumb
9: podcast, I think was what we said specifically. <laughs> so, I was sending a bunch of emails. We, the reason we wanted to do it is just because we had felt disconnected from the podcast and the RPG community for a long time. Uh, our show started kind of at random. Uh, I started it because... Or I suggested we start it, rather. That, that, come on now. That, that is true.
0: <laughs> it's a collaboration yeah. still. But it was
9: because I was listening to movie podcasts. I was listening to We Hate Movies and How Did This Get Made? And I was like, we can do that with RPGs. And no one else is doing it. And there's probably money there. Uh, probably. No, No one does this for the money, as it turns out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we regret to inform you. <laughs>
9: <laughs> so... So uh, we did, for a long time, we just kind of lived on our own little island out in San Diego, and we really wanted to feel a, a sense of community connection. And, and thanks to James, and, and so far, James alone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It'll stay that way. Yeah. <laughs> Reflections. up <laughs> to ten bucks. <laughs> Reflect on <laughs> that, idiot. Uh, <laughs> Bye for me.
3: hmm?
2: You mess with the bull, you get the horns.
9: I'm just going to start talking about podiums for referees. We're going to call them reflectors.
1: Mm.
0: <laughs> and that kind of hot punsmanship is what you're missing if
9: you're not listening
0: this show <laughs> that hot hot content
9: we actually our big announcement was from a few weeks ago we partnered with Erica Chappell Uh, who you probably heard about her Flying Circus Kickstarter, and it was just a real lucky break that uh, she's a fan of ours. We had no idea. Uh, She made a joke about how uh, if we weren't going to turn our dumb Blimpleggers idea into a real RPG, she'd just have to fake it. And we said, well, why don't you just make our thing? You can have all the names. It's fine. And so for us, we're we're super excited that our first kind of System Mastery branded thing, uh, the Blimpleggers Flying Circus RPG, will be coming out as soon as she's ready with it. Yeah. yeah. And I, to si- just to see something as, as silly as Prohibition but blimps turn <laughs> turn into a, a, a real RPG has made all the five years we've been doing this worth it.
0: Tess, I mean, there's so much that I I want to talk to you guys about specifically. One thing uh, that I think not a lot of people appreciate is the level of uh, like attention that you put into choosing what goes on the show and how uh, that choice is made. Because there are a lot of people who ask you to do things that, uh, you know, aren't... Great. Uh, And there are a lot of people who ask you to do things that could hurt someone.
2: Yes. Um, Well, when we first started the podcast, one of the very first ground rules before we ever even made episode one was we don't want our podcast because we basically just rip into these RPGs. We don't want it to hurt the industry. We love RPGs. We love having those out there. And we don't want to get to a point where we're like, oh, someone just put out something and it's their darling. And they're looking to, you know, try and make a living off of this and then just shit all over it. (laughs) That is not what we want to do. Now,
9: has that happened on accident because we're terrible at research? Uh, Yeah. Uh, Once or twice. (laughs) We always feel really bad about it. But our general goal is to shoot for books that are out of print or... Uh, are in perpetual print because of things like PDFs, uh, things that won't necessarily be super damaged by being roasted. And honestly, a few of the ones that have kind of gone under our, fallen under our attention, so to speak, have seen boosts in popularity.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and and th- That's very, very true. Um, one of the points that Alex Roberts made to me when we were discussing you guys is that, that she truly believes that you do important archival work for uh, the RPG community. <laughs> yep that's us <laughs> I, no I, I and like I know that you because you're you're sort of podcasters and, and entertainers you, you you'll, you'll be a little flippant about that, but I sincerely believe it's very true, like Alex has said in that conversation, there's a very short attention span uh the design community, uh, mostly because not a lot of stuff is preserved in a way uh that allows people to look at it. Uh, in the early 2000s, the Forge was was the big thing driving game design, and now you can't find it; it doesn't exist anymore. Um, so, like we we live in the state where we're losing things constantly. Important innovations are made, and then they disappear into the ether. Uh, and you two often like will find even in bad games, you will find really cool things that teach me things about game design.
2: Well, it's it's very interesting that when you see these older games that there's almost always even if it's bad there's a nugget there like no one just makes a game that is top to bottom terrible except for fatal
9: yeah i was going to say <laughs> except <laughs> yeah. for except for richard hall no one yeah
2: but there's a lot of interesting design choices and you can see things in old games where that ends up becoming an evolution later on where after five years of doing this, you're like, okay, I can almost tell the publication date of an RPG by what rules it uses. <laughs> that's super true. And sometimes you'll see one that has
9: something that's way ahead of its time, uh, but the rest of the book was, you know, just another derivative D20 ripoff or, yeah. or uh, all-percentile system that, that wasn't going to be uh, the balance that people were looking for. But somehow they in there, they, they put something uh, just absolutely brilliant. And it's a shame when those things kind of, uh, fall but fall down and just disappear. Uh, so it is kind of really fun to drag them up. And every once in a while, we get lucky. Uh, Vanishing Point.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
9: Vanishing Point's an RPG written by a fellow named Ashok Desai, who's still working. It's a brilliant uh, RPG that's uh, a steampunk game from before the term steampunk, where the basic concept behind it is each uh, player character class you can choose from is a representation of a particular like mental dis- uh, disorder. Mm-hmm. So the character classes are things like, uh, I-, I know what you're thinking, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. There are things like uh, Morgul, or what's the one where you Some think hackles. you have spiders in you, or uh, Jan- uh, yeah, all-, all these interesting things. The book was starting publication, and it didn't fail necessarily, but the publishing house did. So right as it started publishing, it stopped, uh, and the books were sold off literally by the pound, about 15 of them all told, and we found one just random chance at our local game store, did a review on it, and because we liked the game and because we, we strongly recommended it, uh, people started emailing us, and they were like, where is it? I can't find this anywhere. <laughs> it turns out there's less than 800 of them surviving.
2: Oh, yeah. Once we actually talked to the writer, he's like, oh, I couldn't even find one if I wanted to.
9: Yeah. And we, were, we really tried to get him to put it on PDF, but he's kind of uh, moved on, but but it's just it, the sort of thing where you find a game like that where it was brilliant, it was ahead of its time, it had all these quirky little RPG designer conventions, it used D8s because it didn't like D10s because D10s aren't platonic solids. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that kind of thing. You just love those little, those little uh, personality bits you find in these games. To be able to bring that out and kind of put it out in front of the world, and, and in, in our case, it, that was like an early episode, so it was by luck. Nowadays... Uh, people mail them to us. We've become kind of a clearinghouse for weird old things.
2: I've got this junk in my garage. Do you want to review it? Yep. Sure. (laughs) We sure do.
9: (laughs) Send us that garbage, please. We are the
2: RPG landfill for anyone. I have
9: four copies of TSR's Indiana Jones box.
2: (laughs) We'll talk.
0: Um, (laughs) So, I mean, it's not just cool, big podcast things happening with you guys, though, either, is it? Uh, Because Jeff...
9: Oh yeah, you're yeah. you're a freaking father now. I am a, I am I am regretting coming here more and more just a little bit every day, even though I've been having the time of my life because there's a three month old daughter at home, and uh, and I, I, you got them coming up. i I'm gonna keep saying ref but you can have all my tears. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, she's she's just awesome. Uh, her name is Sage. And uh, I keep getting little pictures of her with toys that people are giving her because my girlfriend has set up a wonderful arrangement of visitors and guests to come help take care of her while I'm gone. So she's been covered in toys for like three days. It's adorable. (laughs) So... I can't wait to get home and squish for squishy knees. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's real. I would not have expected it to be so real three months ago.
0: And John, I, I would want to talk to you because this is your <laughs> first real convention experience. I'm going to shit on you, the convention experiences you've had before because you didn't do them. You went to a hot dog restaurant.
3: Oh, yeah.
9: <laughs> and if you could just stop and plug Top Dog.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, really, Top Dog is an amazing hot dog place. They've got, you know... Just regular hot dogs, but hot links, brats. You got that chicken apple sausage. Oh, oh, man. I mean, I could be surrounded by sweaty nerds, or I could get a fucking hot dog.
0: <laughs> hot dog question answered. Um, take but, me there. But I, I, the thing that I'll I want to you know... take you anywhere. Y- you have like, met your fans before, certainly. I, I feel like the System Mastery live panel is one where you really got to see people react to you as a
9: professional as an entertainer, how was that experience for you i 'd never had fifty people looking at me for anything before unless i 'd like stolen something recently I, like, unless there was also a jury present uh, <laughs> uh, so it was it was a real shock
2: I did stand up comedy for several years, <laughs> so. I mean, I'm just used to people laughing at me, being hilarious all the time. It's, it all comes very naturally to me. Of
9: course, that's why he's still a stand-up comic, because he was yeah. wildly successful. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> you know what's way easier than being on the road for months at a time? Sitting at your house and talking into a microphone. <laughs> it's better, too. So much better. Slightly less diarrhea as well. No time spent
9: pouring your heart out to Paula Poundstone, though.
2: No. I yeah. did confirmed that uh, for a lot of people that I have hung out with Paula Poundstone in a van. I talked about my breakup with her. I the, Did you the have sage of... advice for you? Oh five
9: dollars mm. to you. I have sage advice for you. <laughs> it's, it's...
2: <laughs> no, I went to the VIP section of a strip club with Gilbert Gottfried, which was fun. There's nothing like watching the voice of Iago the parrot get a lap dance. <laughs> Just sitting there all squinty, like, this is great! I love this! I'm like, okay, fabulous, I'm very excited for this. <laughs> he turns on the voice for strip clubs? <laughs> he can't turn it off! Oh, okay, It's not like Bobcat Goldthwaite where he just sounds like a regular human and can't get his Bobcat voice back. Yeah, he forgot
9: how he did it. True story. True story. Yeah. True facts. Mm-hmm. Well,
2: I, I do have more
0: folks that I want to invite up, but I, I, I do want to say I, thank you guys so much for being a part of our network because i am huge fans of of you i like you are you are multiple
2: fans of ours
0: (laughs) yeah i i listen to your shows every week they help me get through a lot of garbage um (laughs) i I, I depend on them we didn't even get to talk about expanded expounded universe
2: which is uh I think it's some of the best content we make, honestly. It's, it's, it's rash.
9: It uh, it, real quick, Expounded Universe is a Star Wars novel discussion podcast. We go find those old Expanded Universe books from the mid-90s. And we go through them a couple chapters at a time, and they are atrocious all. It's,
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Now, he's read a ton of them. I have not, never read a single one, so it is a great guided journey. He is my Virgil, and I am Dante, just descending into the hell of Expanded Universe. By
9: the way, because we're bragging about education, this fellow's got a bachelor's in
2: literature. Hey, I got you. that hey. Hey. 14 years ago. Good
0: for oh, yeah. me. <laughs>
9: Right when I got my psychology one.
0: But, I mean, like, if you listen to Never Tell Me the Pods, uh, Pranks and Cat will talk about Expanded Universe a lot. lot. And if you want to know what those books are like closer up with a real <laughs> ugly sort of look into that void, these boys will do that for you. Listen to our other
9: show by Fastest Ship.
2: <laughs> <laughs> our other show is much cooler. More calculating. More reptilian. reptilian. <laughs>
0: But this is not the let's reference system mastery uh, bits (laughs) panel. Uh, So I want to thank Jeff and John so much. They will be on the website soon. (laughs) Soon. Megan Palomi hold the keys to that kingdom more than I do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I want to invite up Ali and Drew Murgieszki of Warda. Drew, a human male. Hi. Allie, is this, it's not an Efreeti. What are you? <laughs> no, we? I'm
10: a Johnny today. Okay. Johnny, or are the air of Warda. Her uh, name is Ravani.
0: So you guys do the the Warda podcast and did our Warda streams. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you were really the first consistent streaming product that, that we had on, on OneShot.
7: That's true.
10: Yeah. yeah. It started, we started in like May of 2017 and yeah. we had streams every week until the end of October, mid-October-ish. It was wild. Yeah. A
0: tremendously like hardworking team and crew. I, I, I don't think the podcasts that we do, I put a lot of work into our podcasts. The streams that we do are always at least twice as complicated uh, there, there's so much more work and like you always want to do more with them and, and the barriers are always money and time and, and they can just take and take and take. Thank God we have Steve's husband, Joe. Uh, Honestly, as Joe. part of our team.
3: Joe.
0: Um, and a but saint. Y'all, y'all are from a pre jovian era. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
10: yeah. Yeah. It was a dark time before um, Joe.
0: But Warda Warda is also sort of in a transitional period. Uh, We're going to be getting some more glimpses soon, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, For for those who don't know, let's give them the elevator pitch for Warda, which I'm sure you guys have been speed training. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah.
10: So Warda is an original fantasy setting that Drew and I created together. Uh, We created it for the intention of writing fiction in it. We didn't realize that we were going to start a game and then do a live stream with the network and then a podcast and now original RPG mechanics. Like it's just grown exponentially in a very short amount of time. And it's been very exciting. Warda is uh, an Edwardian setting. So 19 teens aesthetic, uh, very Downton Abbey, but it has the intrigue and backstabbing of Game of Thrones And then there's also a lot of elements of Agatha Christie kind of thrown in there. So there's mystery, there's romance, there's high stakes, there's social uh, conflict. Murder and death. And and
0: social conflict and social commentary. Social commentary. Tons of
10: social commentary. When we created the world, we were like, yeah, we'll put this, 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 and this in here. And then 2016 happened and we went, oh, a lot of that is...
3: Yeah.
0: um, Okay. I think the thing that I find most interesting about the city, um, you've set up this city as like the only place like mm-hmm. they will not acknowledge anywhere outside of this uh, which uh, Amengard? yeah. Amengrad. City of Amengard.
10: There's so, nothing outside the wall, James. Nothing. Yes. Nothing.
0: And, nothing and, and there, there, there. there are propaganda posters that all that say that and uh, what I like about it, Warda as a role playing setting is it forces you to be in a place that you just want to destroy yeah. by yeah. brick by brick. Yeah.
7: It's it's a yeah. it's a fishbowl. It's a pressurized fishbowl of people that uh and conflicting people, conflicting ideologies that are like we wanna get out of here, it's scarce resources, but everything is a utopia. Everything but it all is, works. everything like, is fine. It, it's
10: worked this way very well for several thousand years and the Fae kind of just outlast the humans. They just live longer than the humans, so nothing really ever changes, because every time the humans start a revolution, they just die off before they get any ground with it.
0: It it, it feels uh, very prescient uh, that you've set up a setting that is... a dystopia that it's, insists it's a utopia, mm-hmm. which feels very fucking real <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right now. I always see Warda. I, I, you guys mentioned Agatha Christie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you mentioned sort of Game of Thrones and, and and whatnot. But to me, Warda is a noir. You know? Oh yeah. It, it, There's it, definite is, noir it, aspects. It feels so desperate in that way. I, I'm very curious because we're about to enter like y- your new thing. Like after we get glimpses, mm-hmm. uh, you're, we're going to be getting your new campaign mm-hmm. have you given any thought to be like what's the next thing because uh, you, you just did a revolution story mm-hmm. um before that was like your detective story entry point into the universe glimpses explored different things mm-hmm. what is rolling around in your minds you don't need to commit to anything i just want to know like there's got to be something tugging on your heartstrings. so, so- no no you please
10: please <laughs> please <laughs> Um, so like you said the first Curiosities was kind of like a detective story it was fun like murder mystery like running all over the town looking at clues investigating people it's very noir um, we had a detective we, it was... yeah it was very noir yeah and then we had Glimpses which is a set, like an anthology of short stories with different characters and different storylines we got to see humans doing their thing in the, the shipping district we got to see Faye doing their upper crust thing and comedy solving stuff, mysteries yeah. and nodding their heads at some things and shaking their heads at I others made them do it Jeeves
0: and Worcester thing. Yeah, it yeah. was good. It was it was really good. It was
10: beautiful. And then the main campaign that we're currently about to wrap up is called Winds of Change, and like you said, it's a revolution story. It's the beginning of a really big change to the city and the structure and the people, and it's it all kind of comes to a head in this finale that's going to come out here in the next month or two. Which I would like to say we recorded that game right before we left well, Chicago. This is a good story. Yeah. Uh, We recorded that game right before we left Chicago with our original cast, and we all sat around the table looking at each other as this ending came about, crying, feeling things, really being like, wow, what an amazing story that we had no idea was going to happen this way. We moved to Florida. I finally get to a chance when I can sit down and start looking at that audio to edit it, and it's dead. Corrupted.
0: Like, completely...
7: all four hours of it just gone. I have
10: never had a panic attack like that before... I don't recommend it. But after I calmed down, we came up with a really great plan. And what we have spent the last couple of months working on, in addition to trying to hammer out some basic uh, original mechanics for our game, is Drew scripted an audio drama. So the finale for Winds of Change is a fully scripted, fully produced, soundscaped audio drama performance with a full cast, including... A lot of people from the network, including former guest stars on the live stream, including former players in the Warder world. So we brought everybody back who's ever done a voice for us and including two people who were behind the scenes for some of those live streams and put them in front of a microphone. And we recorded all of their lines. And that's my next project. So
0: this... This nightmare situation led to you guys acting on a crazy idea that I hear people float around a lot, and that's, oh, we should... We should turn our game into a novel. We should turn oh, oh, our game into an animation series. We should turn our game into a scripted audio drama. That happened to you by necessity.
7: Yeah, yeah.
0: What has been the transmedia process for you there? Like, like, like taking this thing that was an improvisational like performance and being like, well, we got to beat it out. We, we got to script it. We got to
7: hit those high notes that we hit at the table in the moment. It was a thing. It was a thing sitting down. And it's like the the ending of it was roughly 120, 130 pages worth of dialogue, Uh, dialogue and descriptions and narration uh, to finally finish it out. And it was it was surreal to sit down and remember everything that happened and remember the high points remember the good things and remember the things that actually didn't work the things that I was like oh man if I had been a better DM I would have been able to change that or um, yeah it just worked out differently that time and to sit there and go you know what would be really great if we did this instead and to make it a more cohesive Story. And I think that's the dream that everybody has is like, well, we'll do our games and then we'll make them better in post. We and got to uh, do that. it's not easy.
10: But you happen to be uh, an experienced script writer.
3: Thank he, you. He, yeah. You are. I mean,
10: <laughs> Drew writes ex- excellent dialogue, but he, um, he did scripts for when we performed and worked at the Bristol Renaissance Fair for several years. Uh, Drew did a lot of scripts for. Believe it or
0: not, these two worked at a Renaissance Fair.
3: A Renaissance Fair, Fair yeah.
10: <laughs> secret's out so Drew Drew already had that experience I was like I don't want to write the script and he was like I'll do it but I did actually end up helping a little bit Mm -hmm. there are two scenes in particular that I wrote and then Drew fixed luckily you had that experience in writing that dialogue and being able to weave that all together and luckily I'm at a point now where with my editing and the production stuff that I've been putting into the podcast I feel confident that as I finish that editing that it's going to sound really good so we're excited about that. Yeah. But your question, James, was actually about our next campaign, I believe.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. yeah what, 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 what's pulling on your heartstrings? What are you looking What are you looking to do?
10: Well, it, it's interesting because we just had our panel in the room next door, and they asked us what the name of the next campaign was, and we told them no. Do, do you want to? It's fine. Yeah. The next campaign is going to be called Storms of War. So we went from curiosities to winds of change. Storms of war.
0: Okay, so there was like a pretty big anti-establishment revolution that like went down, and now we're we're going to be lashing around in a war. Yeah, Yeah,
10: honestly, the finale is outrageous. And if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to Warder yet and you're considering it or you're thinking about where you should jump in, you can start at the beginning with curiosities. I know that's a lot of episodes, but you can also start with the first episode of Winds of Change. Try it on for size and and follow along with that because I can't, I mean, I can't tell you any of it, but I I mean, I just, we sit there sometimes and we're like, it's so good. And people are going to be so upset. (laughs) Is this what? Is this what the Davids feel like on Game of Thrones when they realize that the finale coming? No, they coming? look
0: at that and go, "We could have put more rape in there, probably." No, yeah, yeah, e- e-
10: yeah. None of that here. None no, of no, that. No, no, we here. don't do that. No. We don't do that people. here. Yeah. Uh-
0: <laughs> I I love you guys very much, and I want to take time to talk about your upcoming role playing game okay. uh, for based based on Warda. I have not talked to you directly about it, <laughs> but I have spoken to the person consulting with you. Yeah, it seems like you're zeroing
7: in. Yeah, it yeah, it feels like it. it it's, it's funny because uh, we're we've never made a game before. Uh, game mechanics that I mean, as players and as GMS, you're always making things. You just are then. If you play games You create games That's just the way it works um, But we've never like Sat down And been like I'm a game designer now That's never really Happened before But we sat down We're like Let's try it Let's let's, let's do that Felt like there's, the, there's a gif Of a plane that comes in And crashes into a fireball <laughs> um, And that's what it feels like All the time All the time Because you're like I'm going to build this thing Go fly Beef Oh god How
10: does that work oh. It'll
7: have ten wings Yep <laughs> and yeah. 60 engines and yeah. uh it will oh it will crash and burn. Oh okay.
10: It's also been hugely challenging not just because we're new to game design but because we're married and um we are really good at world building together and collaborating on stories together and then we sat down to try to make math happen and it kind of sometimes we just like hit this wall and we're both yelling at each other about why there's a wall there. And I'm like, I didn't put it there. And he's like, I didn't put it there. And so we have to like walk away for a little bit and then come back and go, okay, what are we going to work on next time? Because we need to take a break. Um, and so it's been a really interesting exercise in like, how do you do that as a collaborator
0: yeah, coming together with another person making game—it's almost like making an evil baby that oh, wants yeah. to destroy your life.
10: Yeah, <laughs> like it's having a rosemary like baby.
3: Yeah, yeah,
9: yeah. Sage is perfectly good. I don't
10: know. Yeah, sage. Look, sage looks great. Yeah, I mean, I think sage is fine.
7: But it's been interesting to go through uh, iteration after iteration after iteration to really kind of see well, this worked and this didn't work, and then you know, it's the the next xenomorph of the game.
10: And it's like uh, you know because we've never done this from scratch before, we're like, all right, what do we like about other games that we think will serve our purposes and our themes in this game? And we want it to be very narrative-driven. We want the players to have narrative agency in the game, Um, So we want it to be collaborative, but we also want there to be structure enough that people can go, okay, what happens with this? And then the GM can pop in and we can all kind of work that out together. Um, We went from, when we first started Warda on the live stream and on the podcast, uh, we were using fate rules and fudge dice um, just because it's so open-ended that you can kind of do whatever you need to with it. Um, So we, we started there and then kind of added things from other games that we really like. Um, And then, like, I don't know, like, three weeks ago, we scrapped the fudge dice completely. Now we're on all D20s all the time. Just D20s and two D6s. (laughs) (laughs) It's wild. Um, So it's been a huge exercise, too, in, like, letting go of stuff that wasn't working or was confusing. And being like, cool, let's do it again, do it again, do it again. Delete, do it again, you know. To move forward,
7: it's a process. It's just
0: the way it goes.
10: Just, yeah, just like all things.
0: Yeah, um, it's hard. Well, I, I'm not going to kick you guys off the stage, but I do need to make announcements uh, that are network relative uh, announcements before we jump into audience questions. Let's clap for Warda really quick. So, as a network, we've gone through some pretty major changes this year um, uh, that I am pretty emotional about. I think everybody involved is emotional about, and I imagine a lot of our audience is emotional about. Um, there's also some practical confusion behind that of, well, what happens to something like the Patreon? As Campaign was a tremendous like cornerstone of our Patreon and how we delivered our rewards, uh, it is pretty relevant to the people supporting this network uh, to know, like going forward, how that changes. Uh, so I have some of our new patron levels for those who are already patrons at these levels. Like this is just a change in the way your benefits work uh, for those who may be left. Like hopefully this sort of uh, explains like what your place is uh, in, in the future um, uh, and maybe uh, you'd want to come back. And for those who just aren't there yet, hopefully this will tip you over. Uh, so the new campaign uh, is going to be based on the Genesis system. We've invited Tyler Davis and Liz Anderson to join Johnny O'Mara and JPC to be in the cast of campaign. And the setting that we've chosen is an original one that that we all made together, based on uh, the music of the Decemberists. Uh, <laughs> We put together a universe that is based on trying to tell an anti-colonial story. If you listen to the Decemberists, there's a lot of strife in that world. And like, you can see uh, the fingerprints of colonialism and capitalism all over the many tragedies uh, that run throughout uh, those songs. The idea that Johnny and JPC wanted from me originally, before I added all the social commentary stuff, was they wanted to be sky pirates. (laughs) So took that and and, and the Decemberists like nothing makes me think of nautical adventure uh, or, or you know like nautical life more than the Decemberists because you know they're always singing about some sad sailor who's dying a terrible death or doing terrible things. Um, we we made a world that is like a little bit post apocalyptic. We got to like the golden age of like whaling. And then there was an apocalypse uh, that destroyed all of those horrible predatory nations that were, you know, preying upon things. We've set up a thing that allows ships to fly around. And, like, that's how commerce works these days. There are still companies out there that are relatively powerful and predatory. And that's going to be, like, the main threat of the universe. But a big part of the overarching story is well, how do we pick up from here? What do we do next that is not those things that was that were, you know, made our lives so miserable before. Um, So with that in mind, uh, at our $10 level, we've got uh, the mailbag for our ship. And it's going to work very similar to the Deer Minox, but there's one change as well. Because our ship is not a small vessel that, you know, can barely fit the number of people that we've shoved onto it. (laughs) It's a large, like, galleon ship staffed by dozens of crew. So you are going to be able to write a letter uh, that would be like a business proposition or or an inquiry uh, from somebody in the universe. But you can also send me a three-sentence description of someone applying to join the crew. Uh, The crew will evaluate that character. I will play that character. (laughs) And they may indeed join the crew. Uh, you will see them on future episodes. Uh, if they make it a- as part of the crew, you probably will see them die as well. <laughs> <laughs> because Let's be they will also be the most expendable uh, members of that cast of characters that we have. That That is at the $10 level. It, it works very similar to Dear Minoc. It's- you can set a deeper fingerprint, though, uh, on the world and whatnot. Uh, The next thing is the $15 level. Uh, Traditionally, this has been the dice level. Uh, I don't think the dice have been enough, and also it always presents us with a huge logistical challenge. Also, you know, before Kat left, she started doing the holiday card. So this is our gifts and book club level now, where we will still send dice, we will still send like a holiday card to our $15 backers, but we are also going to be sending free PDFs of role-playing games to this level. And the first game that we've negotiated, uh, the, the deal is finalized. It just needs to mechanically be set in place after Gen Con, because everybody involved is super busy, uh, is Pasión de las Pasiones? Oh. Uh, so, everybody... At the $15 level gets that game for free. You, you get the ash can of that game. You will see what it's like before you play it. And we'll be looking around. Uh, some of them will be games that you've heard on the show. Uh, some of them will be games by designers that you've heard on the show. It will be a way uh, for you as a community to discover new things. And, you know, all you have to do is support our network to do that and it 's very much in the spirit of what I want one shot to be. I want one shot to inspire people to, to go out there and play new games and you know this is me doing that in a very direct way of shoving games in your hands. <laughs> Um, for for you to capitalize on. The $25 level is is pretty much staying the same uh, right now. We also are going to be reviving uh, First Watch, though. Like, I'm going to try and get Cat to come back occasionally, but I feel like uh, First Watch, like the spirit of First Watch, is that you're getting to, you know, sit on that conversation around the fire. So First Watch is going to incorporate everyone on the network there will be a rotating guest slot with me and we'll just sort of talk about our lives and and our aspirations and like the cool things that we found and then we're going to talk about monsters and how we can make them more interesting just like uh we did with cat and you uh as 25 five dollar backers will be able to send us questions so if you want gaming advice uh from the people of the rpg shows that like you listen to You'll be able to get it there. The other thing is, I am trying to revive what you might call it, Critical Success, but it's a Patreon exclusive thing. I think you guys already got the first one that I'm doing, uh, and I will be doing that at every opportunity I have I think monthly is about what I have uh, the spoons for so that's a slight change to the uh, $25 level next up we got to talk about Patreon drive it's how I live and it's how we bring you all this content and I understand like a huge change like cat leaving the network is, is gonna you know ruffle some confidence in people but we sort of want to build up to where we were so we can continue to grow the network and add even more shows and uh you know pursue our goal of making games more accessible and inclusive uh so a thing that i already announced at the campaign panel but i can announce again here is that Bon and jubna are going to return there's going to be another Bon and jubna series in fact we've recorded the first three hours of that series already and you will get it once you've unlocked it through our Patreon drive. I am still figuring out the numbers on that one, but it will be uh, getting one hour of the story at a time uh, until like you've completed out the full story, sort of building us back to where we used to be. Now, the milestones after that are ones that I'm really excited about. After Binbon and Jubna has like completed, the next goal after that will be Binbon and Jubna hit the public feed. The idea being that you know you guys sort of got together, got the episodes there, but I appreciate that there are folks, uh, especially... Now, who are not able to be Patreon backers, and I, I want them to have access to that content. So, I think there are a lot of people in our audience who feel the same way. Uh, Steve, I think, put it best: like you know, I, I, queer culture uh, feels a lot like the, the the fan culture that we have around One Shot. Is we're all here to lift each other up and help each other. So, bin Bon and Jubno will go public uh, once you complete. After that, the next is at eighty five hundred dollars. Like, if we manage to hit that level. Campaign will be able to be a weekly show again. <laughs> the issue with Campaign is that I need to pay someone to edit it for two reasons. One is I, I don't have time to, to do all that because I'm doing a lot managing the network and trying to get my own creative projects going. It's, it's weird that I said it that way. Campaign still doesn't feel like mine. But the other issue is there are better editors than me like in the world. I think like, you know, you listen to Neo Scum, Casey Tony puts a lot more effort and there's a lot more skill there than I have. So I want to pay somebody to do it who can do a better job than I would be able to. I'm at $8,500. Like not only am I going to be able to afford to do that, I'm going to be able to afford to do that to deliver four episodes a month. I want Campaign to be back on a weekly storyline. JPC and Johnny want that Liz and Tyler are excited about that. So if we can get there, I want to make it happen. Uh, the last level is a kind of a personal thing. It feels a little bit unreal, but at $10,000 a month, I'm going to be able to pay myself like a, a real amount of money. It, the network takes in an extraordinary amount of money uh, that, that I am like blown away by all the time, but it doesn't pay me a lot. Like I said earlier talking to Jim, I do make a lot of sacrifices to do this full time. And one of the sacrifices that I'm making right now is I don't think on my current income I could afford to have a family but at $10,000 dollars a month, I would be able to maintain the network and, and also have a reasonable income to have a family. Uh, so if we get to the $10,000 level, I will be able to uh, start a, a, a real family with Mel. Um, and you know maybe that's a crazy dream, and maybe I'll be able to get there earlier through some other means, um, but that's, that's my milestone for that.: Well,
1: the backers get to name the kid <laughs>
0: I'm so happy, I'm so happy to announce to you, Jim, absolutely goddamn not. (laughs) They don't have to go by
7: middle names. Mm.
0: Jim,
8: I had tears over here. Thanks for taking care (laughs) of me.
0: Clearing them up. So with that, with all of that, we still have time left in this panel. Do we have any listener questions? I will answer any questions that I can answer, and if I can't answer them, I will tell you. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, so DC, uh, Dungeon Commander, without the E and the ER on Twitter, is going to be joining our network with a new podcast called In Theory, which is an in-depth theory discussion show. I, I think we hit a little bit of this with our interview programs, but that's really focused on the person. It- it- it's focused on them and their personal philosophy, and not so much on like the nitty-gritty of game design. So... Honestly, I really like DC's threads on Twitter. I like DC's design work and Mutants of the Night. So I went to DC and I was like, you are a really smart person who's saying a lot of really like interesting and important things. Would you like a podcast on our network? We'll do whatever you want. And And DC... DC thought about it and said, you know, I want to talk about design. And so that's the show that DC is going to be doing. It's going to start out monthly. I can already feel like in my conversations with them, so many ideas, there's no way 12 episodes a year is going to satisfy them. But, but, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I, I'm i very excited about this because design conversations, like again, they always leave me feeling inspired. Like I can go out and, and take on new challenges. So I'm excited for DC's show, and I, I hope to be able to talk with them soon. The next convention I think that we're going to be at together is, is Big Bad Con, so we'll see. Do we have other questions? And you can ask questions of anybody on the network. We will just make them come up here. Yeah, a bits are
2: allowed. <laughs> Hey,
8: first, you're cursed. The, the, Second, uh, you mentioned uh, yesterday at uh, campaign that you were thinking of doing, like, pilots for, like,
0: other... Oh, yeah. As well. Sure, sure. I can give you a preview of those. Um, so the first uh, thing that we're doing is, is this Decemberist pirate story. I have no idea how long uh, the first arc is going to be. I'm anticipating around 10 episodes is going to do it, but but we'll see. We also talked about doing a game of uh, Blades in the Dark and doing it real hard. The idea being I would have Blades in the Dark on one shot uh, with a crew of thieves as just like a regular one-shot episode. We'd do that, and then the campaign crew would be in the same version of Duskfall and they would have their own crew and these groups will compete um, and sort of play them off of each other uh, in a territory battle and war. And not only that, but I was thinking of incorporating other smaller groups as well throughout so we could have sort of a larger one-shot network game of Blades in the Dark going. Uh, Like, I I do see the idea of, like, Jeff and John being kingpins of their own part of the city and, like, telling me...
3: Uh. (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> like a thing
0: going. On. Yes, uh, telling me who they want to target and whatnot. So, so that is is something that I'm uh, excited about. There's also, uh, I think, a burning desire in that crew to just play some D and D at some point. <laughs> so we'd have to figure out, like, you know, what does our version of D and D look like? What would we want to do with that? Would it just be the dungeon dome? I, I don't know. That's really up to the rest of them. The other idea that Tyler Davis fucking brilliant performer Tyler Davis threw out there is Adventure Train. The idea is that you're on a train and each room is like a different universe. It was a fascinating thing to me. And like, I don't know how we would do it, but like it was something that everybody got very excited about. So I think we'll see what the next thing is like once we once we we, first we want to wrap up this story and and it's like this arc of this story and it might be a thing where you guys come to us and just tell us we really love the skyjacks universe we we want to stay there and that that would be great but i will find ways to touch on these other things as well i believe the gentleman in a brown shirt uh had a Um, question
3: um,
6: since James won't let uh, the backers name his future child, could <laughs> some of the other hosts on the network maybe throw out some
3: names? No. Uh, <laughs> well, I think
2: Reflections the motto. <laughs> <laughs> we
1: can figure out a licensing agreement.
9: And I, I'm
0: sure, I'm sure, uh, Jeff, you want like parsley or thyme? Uh, First of all, she's same. named
9: after the D and D expert class. <laughs> <laughs> that
0: poor child (laughs)
9: that's why our middle name is apothecary
0: (laughs) do we have other questions we do still have time for more inquiries like these panels are an opportunity I've got looser lips here than I ever will have on twitter about our upcoming projects because I get ultimate editing privileges over this so I could give you some real secrets about campaign right now if you want them you just gotta ask the right questions Question here. The question was, what are the teams going to be for Dungeon Dome Season 2? Yes. So Dungeon Dome Season 2, I picture being early next year. I think it is going to be the lead up to the relaunch of the Dungeon Dome uh, card game Kickstarter again when I actually have time to deal with it it is going to be a traditional bracketed tournament. There are no fixed matches. There may be uh, matches that are lightly like influenced or weighted one way or the other, but it's all a shoot, which means in order to do that, we need to have... Lots of different teams of competitors to do that. So like Darcy Ross is, is gonna get involved. Uh, Alex Manich, I'm gonna be pulling him into it. There are going to be uh, so many people, and also we're gonna have a bigger focus, I think, on Ali and Liz, uh, the murder. Uh, I, I really want them to figure more prominently into this season. So I'm tremendously excited about that, but that will be early next year. I am hopefully, going to make it a big thing in March and just make it a weird parody of March Madness. Yeah, 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 Bracketed contest. And your fan brackets are going to be extremely important. Any other questions? Oh, we got a question. We got a question from Jeff.
9: This uh, this Sky Pirates game, this is the first I'm hearing of it. Uh, are you married to not having blimps in there? Uh, <laughs> so... So, it, it's funny
0: that you mentioned that the, the, the ships are kind of blimps, but also not. they the. the,
2: the prin- legally distinct. <laughs> they are legally distinct. <laughs>
9: they the,
0: the principle behind them is similar to uh, a hot air balloon style ship, but they work because of a material called feather weave uh, that becomes lighter than air when it's heated up. So you are not being pulled up by the hot air, but the hot air is allowing the sail to pull you into the sky. So it's not blimps, but will there be a blimp leggers versus guy in the dungeon dome? Absolutely. fucking oh. lootly. Yeah. yeah. I I don't think our sad, desperate, starving sailors are going to fare very well against your (laughs) giant, magical superheroes, but we'll see. So with that, I think eight minutes left in the panel. I want to tell y'all, as always, I kind of want to end these panels on a note of extraordinary gratitude. Uh, Everyone in this audience, even if I do not know your faces, I'm sure I know a lot of your Twitter icons. (laughs) And in some extremely hard times, not even just related to like the network, but related to life in general, it's weird for me. Twitter is my self-care because all of you are there talking to me. There's a lot of horrible news out there as well, but it makes it bearable just to know that you're out there with me. There are so many times it makes me hard to imagine a life without knowing you guys, even in the small amounts that I do. So I I really do appreciate you. Thank you for listening to our shows. We are going to make more of them. They're going to be bigger and better. And all of that is going to make this world of gaming a better place to be.
3: (laughs) See you next time, heroes.